Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. I will pull from anything to help move the way the trauma is being held. It's not about forgetting. It's about learning how to remember more peacefully. This is Knocking Doors Down, your host Jason Chance with a history of alcoholism, also some childhood trauma, but hey, you got to take all that and use it to fuel your future breakthrough and do positive things, and that's what we do here on Knocking Doors Down, of course, with me, Mikey Naraki. What's up, good brother? What is going on, people? Uh, pardon our voices, we're both a little bit hoarse due to uh, the weather and stuff in the, this area, but These we got a great- Damn allergies. Yeah. We got a great guest, Mikey, Miss Edie Nathan, uh, such an insightful and interesting woman. You know why I love talking to people like Edie? Because I, I, it's just, with my anxiety and all that stuff and talking to a therapist, I just have so yes. many questions for them. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, I'm feeling this. Why? And, oh, is that explain this? Oh, okay. You know. And uh, Edie is a therapist, as Mikey mentioned. She's had a private practice for over 20 years in New York. Uh, she works with people with grief, trauma, and sexuality and uh, gives a t- tons of different uh, insight into uh, ways of how the brain works and how to deal with trauma. She actually says that trauma is a thing that we, we need to embrace because it can teach us a lot and you really get a lot out of it. Of course, you can go to Edie, that's E-D-Y, Nathan.com, find out more about her and uh, her book, It's Grief, uh, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. We're going to talk about that a lot as well. So she's a really, really neat lady. This is a great conversation and one of those really beneficial ones on a clinical level. Plus, she's got a great sense of humor. She's got a great sense of humor. And yeah, like I said, these are always the most fun for me personally to talk to and hope you guys agree. Speaking of fun and uh, another great read, a book that, uh, well, we all enjoy is uh, Knocking Doors Down, Carlos Vieira's autobiography, which you can get now at kddmediacompany.com. You can get the hardback, paperback, and ebook there. And remember, 100%, all the proceeds go directly to the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Again, for more on his book, go to kddmediacompany.com. If you have yet to subscribe, make sure to do a search on either the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, also on Amazon Music, Stitcher, or at kddmediacompany.com slash podcast. But uh, on all those platforms, search Knocking Doors Down. Give us a listen, give us a subscription, and a five-star review. And hey, pass the word along to friends because uh, you guys help us grow. Mikey, welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, Miss Edie Nathan. How are you doing today, ma'am? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. Excellent. Well, we love having you here. You are our first therapist on the podcast, and um, boy, you've got a lot of different education and certification. Um, Can you kind of fill people in on all of your background of of what you do? Absolutely. So I, I came into this work probably because of my own trauma and my own senses of loss. And mm-hmm. my focus is, is grief and trauma, loss, and uh, I throw sexuality in there just as a topper. Uh, because sure. n- whether there's sexual trauma or not, if we are traumatized, we our, our sexuality and our sexual selves do get affected by that. So Greatly. I wanted, right? So I wanted to have like a well-rounded perspective and with that said, I, I I work really from very creative ways. I, I think that oftentimes language is, stops us from being able to get into what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So I will use hypnosis. I will use something called EMDR, 
which is actually a way to help the brain change the way it holds on to trauma. Wow. And uh, then I will use also storytelling, narratives, drumming. I will pull from anything to help move the way the trauma is being held. It's not about forgetting. It's about learning how to remember more peacefully. Wow, that's an interesting, you know, and I've, uh, prior to recording, shared with you a little bit of my background, so that's a, a, an interesting approach, because I know for me, I've been doing a lot more um, getting out into nature and that connectivity to it, and, um, you know, just trying trying to feel more a part of the world, because with my trauma and then my subsequent um, alcoholism, I became so disconnected to everything mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, you know, definitely affected me sexually. And so it's, uh, it's interesting that you have all these approaches. As you could probably tell Edie, we're very excited to be talking to a therapist because boy, do we need it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's, that's, uh, that's so interesting that you say that because, um, probably we all need it on some level. Oh, agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and sometimes that's what a good friend is for. Sure. And mm-hmm. sometimes, though, our friends really can't do that for us, nor can family members. Mm-hmm. And you know, to have someone who will listen objectively and with care and hold you and be a witness. I mean, trauma is tough, and it 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 gets into your body, and it's invasive. And it likes to talk to you and bring you down. Yeah. And it's right. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so my own trauma experience. Just, just so you know, as you've shared yourselves, I am a sexual abuse survivor myself, uh, and I was pretty terribly bullied as a kid, which really took me down a very, very slippery slope to the point where. Um, the thought of not living in fifth grade was an option. Mm. So, oh my God. You know, it is, it is really amazing how the heart and the body can hold trauma. And then I lost my, my partner uh, when I was 27 years old oh my gosh. from lung cancer. And I do this work because of him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I can't imagine, uh, you know, so, so you had this, this bond and relationship. Was this something then as you started, did you get help as a child with these issues or are they things that rolled over into your teenage years and your early 20s uh, prior to meeting your partner that had passed away that it kind of segued you into, I'm finding my purpose here and I'm going to, you know, give to this world? You know, messages come in in really strange ways, right? And we transform, (laughs) (laughs) right? And we transform in ways that we can't even imagine or that, oh, this experience is going to actually frame me later on or help to um, curate a a profession. So I don't know in in those moments that I knew, oh, you know what, I'm going to be able to use this and help people. I actually wanted to be on the stage and what i really wanted to do was be an actor because when there's that much pain what's the best way to escape it have the lines of somebody else Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. can i tell you something funny my uh, major in college was directing for the camera my minor was acting for the camera so i know exactly what you're talking about yeah good so so i actually uh i went to nyu in my major was theater and i became um i was trained as a shakespearean actor and uh i did off broadway and off off broadway and uh and then when trauma is not dealt with you get hit over the head with something and so what happened for me was i became completely agoraphobic and i couldn't leave my house Mm. oh my goodness and the man who was my partner helped me get out mm-hmm. and help me survive and help me face the demons of the past. Yeah. Well, and what path did you start to take to to face those demons? Was it a changing of education, your educational path? Was it therapy? Was it a combination of it all? Yeah, it was definitely a combination of it all. So when someone has that kind of anxiety where they're really stuck 
at home, walking down the streets of New York became virtually impossible, much less leaving my apartment on the second floor. And what what ultimately happened was um, my partner brought me to therapy, made sure that I got there, made sure that I had food, made sure that I that I could be taken care of. And it was that kind of caring that was also part of the healing. Mm. And he he really uh, enabled me to see a way out. And in seeing that way out, uh, when when he died, and we were together for a fairly short time, only two years, but when he died, I realized I, I can't, I'm not gonna be an actor anymore. He was an actor. I'm not gonna do this anymore. I need to find a way not only to help myself, but help others yeah. deal with grief and loss and trauma. And it was through my own exploration, going back to school, getting a couple of master's degrees. School became also a safe haven, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it it really moved me into completely different directions. Yeah. What is the most um, surprising thing when you started your, your journey on your educational path to therapy that threw you maybe threw you off or you just had no idea was the most eye-opening concerning grief and trauma and and how we continue to act that out or it remains a part of a pattern for us so too often around the conversation of grief we're told oh you'll move on or it's going to get better or it's you'll be done with this right. and there is no done there is no moving on there's a moving with mm -hmm. there's a there's a what i call the metaphor i like to use is dancing with that you, you you dance with the grief you partner with it because when you are afraid of something what i learned through my anxiety is the more embarrassed and shame i felt around anxiety or maybe i'm going to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack right now was that the more i feared it the bigger it became Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. if I didn't fear it so much and I was able to mitigate it and I went into, you know what? It matters less. It doesn't matter so much. And if I have an anxiety attack right now and I sit on the ground in the middle of New York City and I cry, then that's what I'm going to need to do. And what happened was the anxiety began to dissipate and huh. things began to open up. What if you can't like address your anxiety? I, I have crazy anxiety and I'll get, you know, random attacks here and there, but I feel it almost every day, but I don't know what it is. Family's healthy, you know, got a job, bills are paid, everyone's good, but I, it's still there. Like, I know that's the cards I was dealt and I can manage it throughout my life, but I can't cure it, but you can manage it. But I don't, I don't even know what it is. I don't know where it's stemming from. So that's such a great question. And for everyone, it's going to be different. Sure. Okay. One thing for sure is that when our bodies get used to the feeling, it likes to move in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mine's been a right? tenant for a while. <laughs> yeah. Mine's moved in. Yeah. And it's not paying rent. Brought a it? couple cousins. No. You know, it's mother in law. <laughs> it's like, shit, man, I'm going to crash on the couch. They're, a bit. All, they're all in there right now. Yeah, and they locked me right? out. I can't uh -huh. even charge them. Yeah. So. So, so, so part of uh, realizing that it's, you know, you're going to meet it every day mm -hmm. is ac actually acknowledging that you're going to meet it every day mm -hmm. instead of saying, oh God, I hope I don't feel it today. Right. What would happen if you say, I know I am. And what can you teach me? What can you tell me? What do I need to be uh, alert around? Because our anxiety also does serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. It keeps us awake. It keeps us looking around and tracking to see where danger lurks. And if our bodies experience there's danger, even though your family is fine, there's something that's that's keeping you maybe more aware or astute. So is anxiety and really con connected to our fight or flight mode? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Definitely. Oh, I completely, yeah, agree. We had a guest on, uh, Chris Jensen. Yeah. And I was telling him about 
a toxic situation that I was in for a few years. Um, and my body was in fight or flight mode during that time. And then I was out of that situation and I've been out of it for about a year and a half now. And all of a sudden, like anxiety, all that. And he says, well, that was your body's fight or flight when you're in the middle of it. Now that everything is good and you're in a safe place and you don't have to stress over this, you know, bull crap. Um, your body's like, hey, we have those feelings that we still need to address that we have not addressed yet. So that's where it's just boom, anxiety attack or my head literally feels too heavy for my neck or I'll just get lightheaded or dizzy or something or, you know, like the shortness of breath, which is a horrible time to have anxiety, shortness <laughs> of breath during a pandemic. Oh, yeah, right. The shortness of breath. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. probably causes anxiety too. Like I'm coughing because I can't breathe, but I can't breathe because I have anxiety. It's like, Oh, you must have COVID. <laughs> no, I just have anxiety. <laughs> Don't worry. It's been like that since so far. So, so it's so interesting that you bring this up because the, the whole thing of, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't, you know, if you weren't breathing, good chance you'd be dead sure. <laughs> yeah. right yeah so number one you are breathing mm -hmm. you're not breathing the way you know you normally breathe right and the breath is static i guess the other thing that i learned and and jason you brought this up like what's a takeaway mm -hmm. so i'm going to tell you a little story okay and it was it was like like one of those those oh my god what a what a moment as i was healing Taking a subway was so hard for me. I can't even tell you. Like literally, like I'd be shaking. Sweat was like crawling down my back. Couldn't my knees imagine. were shaking. I was nauseous. My mouth was dry. I felt like I was not breathing, but I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it no matter what. And I was living on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn and it wasn't the safest of places. You know, white girl living in this area you know, and I had a lot of protections there. I mean, people were phenomenal, but it was hard. I was on the subway going home from the city and we were between stops and I was wearing a gold chain and this dude comes up and puts his hand on my neck and he's ready to take my chain. And now I'm shaking, I'm breathless. I grab this guy's hand and I say, don't you dare fill in the expletive. <laughs> and Unedited, Edie, let it all out. Let it fly. <laughs> don't you fucking dare, okay? And he let go of my chain. I pushed past him, past him. I got off at the next stop, which was not my stop, and my anxiety was gone. Really? Wow. And it was like, oh man what just happened it's gone and that's when i started to really delve into the relationship between anger that's not dealt with and anxiety and that yeah. when there's anxiety take a look at your anger or what's not being expressed around anger hmm. that's really interesting you, you know because i know for for me um and it and people don't see it because I tend to be Mikey and you probably would think I'm kind of normally docile but that doesn't mean that I'm not angry or angry about the traumas that happened or angry about my actions that hell, relate to the traumas the hell does docile mean docile calm <laughs> okay okay yes I have noticed that yeah <laughs> mild mannered gotcha gotcha very calm so how do you then when you're working with folks with their traumas get in touch with anger in a in a healthy way well, it's like bringing it all into the room. One of the things that, that happens when people come in to see me or we're Zooming or I'm, you know, talking to a, a large group of people, uh, um, healthcare workers or um, doctors or nurses or people who've just been dealing with their own personal traumas, is that it's a very crowded room when you walk in. And that crowded room parents and aunts and uncles and friends and and enemies and it's about sorting out who's in that room with you mm. how they talk to you how you hear them in your head the discourse internally that you have with them and how you've either learned to 
stay silent, be docile yeah. or calm mm -hmm. in light of maybe a lot of chaos and noise and um, violence, either literal or not, going on around you. And anxiety may be the response, but anger may be underlying. Sure. And uh, basically, it's like inviting them all into the room. And uh, a lot of therapists will say, you know, what's going on, kind of what's wrong, you know, looking for what's wrong. Uh, my question is, what are you yearning for? Uh. What are you hungry for? Where is the grief? Yeah. Where's the loss? Now I've never really thought of it that way because I, 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 but it's interesting you bring that up because I've been definitely doing a lot more reading about codependency and what you're saying there makes so much more sense to uh, some of my relationship choices or as I call them sometimes relation relationships, uh, you know, and, and that connectivity of um, a term that a gentleman we had on here, his name's Tony Hoffman. Uh, he brought up trauma bonding and really, you know, looking back, there was a lot of that was going on as this common, common traumas. And that's what our connectivity was. There wasn't, it was wanting to fill that, that void and not actually creating a good positive life to move forward, uh, which I was probably mostly to blame for, but. Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know so much if it's blame or we go toward what we're comfortable with. Sure. You know, I haven't had um, the best relationships necessarily. Uh, it, it took a lot of work to finally land in one that works. Um, but we, when we meet someone and we haven't worked out our own trauma, we will often find people who will mm, we can collaborate with Oh. to experience the trauma mm -hmm. because it's what you know yeah. because it's what we know yeah wow yeah <laughs> so let me ask are you are you still located in new york i am still located in new york so when yeah. someone tried tried to snatch your chain you said don't you fucking dare and you still stayed there and you're out of your apartment you're all doing your thing now and you still got your chain Good for you, Edie. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. It's no, awesome. Yeah. I got my chains too. If any, maybe someone <laughs> should try to snatch it. If you know that were the case, you know, if it gets rid of the anxiety, you know what I mean. I'm yeah. Just, I'm just kidding. I hope that doesn't happen. But no, um, you know. I, but it, it, in a way, it's it's like getting in touch. You see, it was also it was a change moment. Right. Mm. Wasn't routine. Okay. Kind of thing. Yep. And so. Um, a lot of times when someone is experiencing a lot of anxiety, you know, it's like, wash your hands, make a call, pinch mm -hmm. yourself, not to hurt yourself. I have people wear a rubber band and snap the rubber band yep. and say, stop it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And have those stop moments. Um, and you know, we have what I call big G's and little G's. I talk about it in my book. And the and the little G's are little griefs. And when the little griefs aren't attended to, then they can become a big grief. And mm -hmm. when oftentimes we don't identify it as grief, we identify it as I'm having anxiety or I'm or I'm I'm depressed or I'm 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 feeling just like I'm not in my body and maybe yes all of those things are true but maybe it's actually grief right. and if we can look at all the different tentacles of grief that they are far more um, um, expansive than we realize yeah. you know and we're, we're in a COVID world right now and for the first time un grief that is unrelated to death we are globally experiencing and yes there are deaths and there is the loss of ritual mm -hmm. and though the loss of those rituals of not being able to say goodbye of not being able to have a proper burial of not being able to have a wake or whatever your beliefs are within mm -hmm. certain you know communities or or religious factions having that taken away is something but also then the the isolation 
For someone who might be extroverted, this is really hard. For someone who's introverted, it also may be hard yeah. because introversion, you know, it's still a choice while the world is going on around you. And if the world isn't going on, some people are saying, you know, this has also been hard because I have to show up in a greater way on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I, my eyes can't wander. I can't, I can't kind of leave and go to the bathroom. I've got to like kind of really, really be here. You know, those bathroom breaks are less about having to relieve oneself and more about gathering oneself and just coming back to the self for a moment or two or 10. Yeah. For me, the challenge is, is, is kind of professionally, I've had to be an extrovert, but I think by nature, I'm an introvert and um, it, it's definitely made for for a huge and, and a single dad too, and you know a kid with my my oldest has uh, Asperger's on the autism spectrum, and so and my youngest, my daughter is very social, so all these things they've just uh, they've definitely I've noticed for for myself and Mikey as well. This time has been just trigger happy with a lot of different stuff. Yeah. I, l- I like the way you say that it's trigger, you know, trigger happy and yeah. it's coming in all different directions and we're, we're really ill prepared for this, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, for, for the conversations, for the, for the deep dive, for the intimacy, for the lack mm-hmm. of intimacy. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's getting been- to know yourself. That's 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 been hard. Is that I am such a hugger, and that's been taken away for for from people that I care about. And what you said there, the getting to know yourself, that has been, you know, because my my sobriety hasn't been, um, you know, for years and years and years. You know, it's within the last year, and that getting to know yourself. This has definitely amplified it, and that's again why I say a lot of those triggers, and I see it with a lot of other newbies that are you know, new to sobriety or even people that have had long-term, um, you know, that it has become a trigger situation. Yeah, it, it really is. I, the, the coping, the way that we cope is different for everyone. But if, if you are a social person or if you've had a few good friends who these are my, these are my people, right? (laughs) These are my people. And, and you can't get to your people even if it's one person, they're still your person. Yeah. And that certainly can take people down a very, very dark, into a dark hole. Yeah. And right now, mental illness and and trying to survive and trying to get help um, has been very, very, very difficult. And suicide has been on the rise yeah. during this time. And suicidal clinical term ideation, which is like, maybe it would be better to end my life. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the thinking about it, the, the maybe obsessing about it, uh, you know, because of job loss, because of lost connections, because maybe the, the family situation is, uh, not being protected. Maybe there's family violence. Right. We talk about children. You're, you're a single father. Uh, Mikey, I don't know if you're a I'm a, a single dad. father of a deer chihuahua. Her name's Lola. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Lovely. Th- those animals are really important right now. Oh, she's my rock. Really? I'm obsessed with that thing, man. I love that dog. <laughs> ah, that's so great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a dog as well, and my dog is like, like I love my dog. Ziggy is just like amazing, and and to be able to be heart-centered with animal, you know, and also then with our children or with family members is so important during this time. But sometimes we don't know ourselves well enough to think, maybe I can't do this by myself. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. And oftentimes the language around that, there's feelings of shame or awkwardness or guilt or, um, just uh, a sense of I, I can't I can't let anybody know really what's going on and I don't I don't even have the words for it. Yeah. And, well, that's a huge part of our mission is ending the stigma of of any of these things. If it's if it's substance abuse, if it's you know if it was sexual abuse, if it's mental and emotional health, that, that it's okay that it's not things aren't going to change and improve if we're not talking about it and we're not getting it out right. there. 
and and That's really right. the gift of sharing our stories honestly is such a huge help in that process and for men especially mm-hmm. you know for men especially we we had to some degree done the done um the huntership of men uh, mm-hmm. a disservice mm-hmm. um, expand on that why why do you say that I agree. Uh, I'm just curious because you're, you're more educated <laughs> in it than I am. And, you know, oh, no, but you live it than a <laughs> as a male. So <laughs> actually, you're the expert. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll take that. You I'll, know, I've, <laughs> never, I've never gone through that. Like, I, I've had anxiety. When did I get it? I noticed it right around 21 years old when I was living in Hollywood. And I thought I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. So I just laid down. I laid flat on my back while I was in my apartment. And I was just like, okay. And then it passed. But I I talked about it to everybody. I was like, dude, I don't know what the hell happened. And then my mom, her whole side of the family has anxiety or had anxiety. So she was explaining to me what it was. And I've... I feel like I'm definitely not speaking on behalf of all men, but of me... It was, I, I, I wasn't afraid to talk about it. Like, oh, I can't really go. Well, why not? Well, I got anxiety, dude. If I go there, it's just going to be all bad. Um, I've seen therapists since I was, you know, 22, 23, just off and on. Not consistently because, you know, things happen. They'll move or I'll, I'll move or something like that. But I was, were you the same? Did you have a hard time talking about it? I really didn't. Well, but I think for me and I, you know, <laughs> want to get the, the it, I get it that I'm the expert because I'm a man. For me, um, you know, having come from a generation of parents and I'm, you know, I'm not sure your uh, age, Miss Edie, and I'm not asking, but you know, that baby boomer By the is, looks, I'd say like 19 or 20 though. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gotta love you. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> but um, my my parents were just from a generation that was very emotionally immature, and subsequently, I kind of went into relationships um, because I I self identified through relationships for various reasons that we could go <laughs> too long, and I don't want to go into a therapy session because the story's about you. But um, I, I it seemed that I was allowed anger and joy, and that was it. Uh, and then for me, is a you know, I think with things that happened to me with sexual trauma, the the you know the pursuing of of many a woman was a thing to justify my masculinity because it you know it was a man that took advantage of me and I was exposed to pornography at a very early age and uh, and I think the drinking kind of you know it would silence a lot of the pain. Plus, I could let down some walls and I could have more than just joy and anger. I could kind of be there in the middle and then eventually and, and feel connected falsely to others. And then eventually it got out of control mm-hmm. and took over. Yeah. 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 And, and that, that, that sexual piece of, well, if I'm, you know, if I can just show what a man I am and I can be this, you know, you know, have like sexual prowess or I can have many women or I can, look look a certain way or be a certain way and this can be for men and for women it's almost like it's shutting it's shutting up the voice in the head that says you're bad you should be ashamed it's your fault right um and all the other loud incessant voices that just want to keep you down you know and and so you you do everything to try and sh- shut them out, shut them down, quiet them from alcoholism to, you know, it's there's there's a, a wonderful framework around sexuality and um, and it's it's not my framework, but it's out of control sexual behavior as opposed to a being a sex addict. Mm. And the out of control sexual behavior is really a platform um, that looks at 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 what happens sexually as it relates, you know, this out of control behavior as it relates to anxiety. Really? And yeah, it is really a wonderful way to look at what happens for so many who have been abused or 
who have been told that they um, are a sex addict and um, this treating out of control sexual behavior, rethinking addiction is was written by Douglas Braun Harvey and Michael A. Vigorito. And uh, they are just so brilliant uh, in terms of looking at what what happens to the the person who does have out of control sexual behavior and it takes the addiction part out of it hmm. because it is really the the depths of wanting to shut up the voices of trauma and re-establish a bond that is not a traumatic bond by seeking out sexual partners who will make you feel more like a man or more like a woman. And it it's only like any drug, it's only good when the drug is active. And then when the drug is no longer around, you go right back into those hard, cruel, internal voices that want to come in, sit down, take up residence and say, you're not going to shut me up. Yeah, and those voices are for those that uh, that know exactly what Edie's talking about can be so incredibly loud. Yeah, yeah. So Edie, yeah. when you're talking to people, you struggling from anxiety as well, or have anxiety as well. Like when you talk to people about it, does that? Because I notice when I talk about anxiety for extended periods of time, I will start to feel anxiety. Like some of my friends know that I have it, so if they're going through an episode they'll call me or text me and I don't mind talking them through it because I've been through it myself. So they'll be like, okay, thanks that helped. But then I'll notice that I'm starting to feel it. Do you ever get that as a therapist or have you learned to cope with it better? Like just throughout the time. So of I think it's it? different being a therapist mm -hmm. and being a friend. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So being a therapist, I am listening, but I'm also listening, listening with a, with a crucial ear mm, okay. and my presence is a very different kind of presence. It's such a great question because the presence is I'm, I'm there as witness. Yes. I'm there to when I'm, when I'm with a client or I'm in a group, I'm the way that I'm listening is not as it relates to me, but how it relates to them. Mm hmm and I'm creating hypotheses mm. as they're talking. And I've got all of these hypotheses and narratives that are going on within me as, as, as their stories unfold. Mm -hmm. And so because it's not about me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling the anxiety. I, I, I feel I, I understand it, but I don't have to be in it to understand it. Now, when a friend starts to talk to me, I may not have um, the barriers, the protections up. And there were times when someone else's anxiety would trigger mine. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm going to go right back to that anger conversation. Okay. Because I th think that I didn't set up boundaries with that friend. And what what happened then, or what happens is... I feel like I'm going down a slope and I'm not saying no, I'm not saying this is too much. I'm just, I want to help. I want to be there. And my inability to say, no, I need to stop right now. I can't help you um, is what actually causes the anxiety. Right. What is, how important is that establishment of boundaries, not just with yourself, but others in the, and we're not really using the, the word healing from grief, but I like what you said, dancing with grief. How, how in, integral is boundaries in the process? Because that's something I've had troubles with forever. Boundaries are key. No, N-O is <laughs> a huge word. <laughs> no, no, like a three-year-old, like, like, like a rambunctious, three-year-old no i'm not doing it no <laughs> but i'll tell you what i will do i'll tell you what i can do mm. i've got five minutes 
and I can listen. Mm-hmm. Sure. And sure. if I if I think that I can offer something to the conversation, I will. And I want to be there for you. And I may not be able to be there the way you need me to be there. Right. And I love you and I care for you. Or maybe you don't. <laughs> okay. And 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 you're there anyway. Right? right. And so again, you're 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 acting as if it's okay, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being able to to set boundaries to actually establish even within friendships how to how to have safety. What does it mean? What does it mean to be safe? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to actually create a safe environment for interactions, for love interactions, for crucial, for for crucial conversations? Brene Brown talks about like being able to rumble, and 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 one of the things she talks about, and this is a quote from her: "I am not here to be right. I am not here to be right. I am not here to be right." I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. Mm. Ah. I like that. And that's a quote from Brene Brown. And she, you know, she really talks about the idea of how we rumble. And we rumble with our friends and we rumble with our families and we rumble with anxiety. And again, that's her terminology. But the idea of being able to stand up in adversity or to adversity, to be able to stand up to someone and say, you know, I, I want to be able to help and I can't. I want to be able to be a witness. I don't know how. And it's not, this is not about you. Mm-hmm. This is about me. And p- too often people think I can't do this is about them, but it's not. And if, you know, it, it's, I can't do this is, is you protecting yourself. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really helped me with my anxiety was being laser focused on when I needed to say no, that the minute I got the tell of anxiety and I would yell at my anxiety. I mean, I can't tell you. I would sit in my car because sometimes it would hit me when I was driving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, you're not allowed in. You can't come in. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. You can't. You can't. No, I'm not doing this. And I'd have this tantrum. And then I'd take a breath. And I'd say, okay. Something's making me angry and I don't know what it is, but I need to like track what happened today. What happened like 10 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, what happened? And then I'm able to pinpoint, you know what? I didn't say no. I didn't really say what I was feeling or I felt like there was a little jab in me or my trauma just got elevated. Mm. And maybe I need to speak to some part of me that's holding that trauma right now. And where is that trauma? And sometimes very often it's in my gut or it's in my heart. Sometimes very much it's in my jaw. Mm. And sometimes it comes out in my dreams or in my daydreams and nightmares. Yeah. Right. And our nightmares, those nightmares, when you have anxiety, you're living the nightmare. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a son of a bitch. I I I have a book of these odd, vivid nightmares that I've written down, um, and so I know exactly what you mean and how they can shape even your entire day. I've had them where they've sh- shaped a whole week of of plans of canceling getting together with people because things they would say was something similar to that nightmare, and I was like, oh, I can't do this. Right, and. You know, we're, we're, we're laying out the picture of what anxiety feels like and accessing anger and where grief kind of is is very much in this conversation because mm-hmm. what, what happens with anxiety is a, a discrete sense of the loss of self. Yeah. And not knowing who am I, what's going on, and it's terrifying. Yeah. And... Anger can make you feel that way too. 
because you go so off that it's like, who am I? I don't even, I'm, 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 I'm enraged. And gosh, like this rage doesn't fit this picture. And how is this associated to trauma? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then let's take it though a step further, which is how you go in and actually rewrite some of the script. Okay, so, so one of the things personally that has really helped me mm-hmm. is the work of the brain. Yeah. And our brains are our, one of our greatest allies. I also happen to think that grief is an unexpected ally. And it's an unexpected ally because with every loss, there is a birth. And so this is an opportunity for actually the self to awaken, to birth, to reconfigure how the brain is holding on to anxiety, anger, trauma. It's not about, it doesn't just go away. It's not about forgetting. It's learning how to remember in a more peaceful way. So what are the, one is the, one of the, one of the primary things that you can do is if you've got a negative cognition of I'm having an anxiety attack and I can't breathe, I'd like you to hold your breath. Because if you weren't breathing, you wouldn't be able to hold your breath. Right. And (laughs) right. I mean, it's, it's sounds crazy. No, I'm going to try that. (laughs) Good. Yeah, no, I'm taking all the advice I can right now because I know we're doing a podcast and all that, but I really just want to get into a damn therapy session. Right <laughs> <laughs> He's got a notepad under the desk. I'm writing all of this stuff. <laughs> right, no way. Um, no, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna try that. Yeah, I actually, uh, I had gone to a hospital before because I thought I was dying. It was before, like I knew it was anxiety, and the doctor sat me there. So I'm looking around for 15 minutes and um, I'm, I'm not dead. So, you know, that was a good sign. I'm not having a heart attack. And oddly enough, when I go to hospitals, I have zero anxiety because, you know, if God forbid something were to happen to me, I'm at the place where I need to be, which is the hospital. So, but yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to know is holding your breath and then try it because... There are times where I'm just like, I, I don't know why I can't breathe. And I just feel like a damn elephant is sitting on my chest. But yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, an elephant, a gorilla, and probably like another human because yeah. it feels that heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't actually tell you how many hospitals I went to during my worst time of anxiety. I think I might have hit every hospital at least once within the city of New York. Because oh, no. I never wanted to go to the same hospital twice. <laughs> oh, well, in yeah. our town we only have one, so they know me pretty well over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that breaks my heart, Miss Edie. Um, um, I, I want to ask you a little bit about um, sexual therapy. Um, some of the misconceptions people might have about it, and some of the stigmas as well. So, sex therapy. Uh, there are maybe a lot of therapists, and, and I'm and, and I'm saying this really as an educational piece. There may be a lot of therapists sure. out there who will call themselves sex therapists. Mm-hmm. However, um, there is also a certification for sex therapy, and do not, under any circumstance, to someone who is not certified. So that's like one of the you know first major steps in having a a conversation with a therapist if you are specifically seeking out therapy for some a some kind of sexual issue sure just really really important and there's an organization um they're called asect a-s-s-e-c-t easily found online and um, you can find therapists there who are certified uh it's a rigorous program and i you know, just highly recommend the therapists who have gone through it right. um, through their certifi- through their certifying process. Uh, with that said, you know, trauma, sexual trauma, physical trauma, so many different forms of trauma, even bullying, can affect uh, sexuality, sexual function. Sexual orientation is not a choice, and yet 
there are some women who were so badly sexually abused that they either choose not to be with a sexual partner or they choose to be with a woman. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that sometimes, I'm not saying cross the board, I'm not saying that this is a thing, but it does sometimes happen. There are men who are dealing with uh, erectile dysfunction and there is often and has been shame around this. And a lot of times we're talking about anxiety. It's more about anxiety than it is about anything else. These are hard conversations to have. Mm -hmm. And if you are in a partnership and you're having issues, under sexual issues, understand that a lot of times the sexual issues are really not sexual in nature, but are more about power and the Mm -hmm. power dynamic between a couple. And there are, you know, if in a couple you've got someone who's got high desire and you've got someone who's got low desire, that low desire partner is the one who's got control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're the ones who are saying yay or nay. And so the conversation around sex, sexuality, I work a lot with the LGBTQ community and, uh, at 20% of my practice has been working with um, male to female transitions and uh, everything that these uh, men who are transitioning um, go through and the loss of families, the loss of children and the immense grief um, that they face um, as they own uh, part of themselves that they have had to hide, diminish, retreat from, and feel s- at times shame. Yeah. So, uh, and everything in between. So, conversations around sex, sexuality must be tender and uh, examined with with care, uh, and yet. Um, must also, I say must, um, in order to have any of these sexual conversations, they, they need to be, there needs to be safety and those boundaries around safety and what safety is, is going to be different for everyone. And don't assume that just because you feel safe, the the you of the many, Mm -hmm. that who you're speaking to feels that sense of safety. Uh, there's nothing that will trigger anxiety or silence. There's a wonderful book called Crucial Conversations. And one of the things that they talk about is uh, the violence silence response. And silence is one response and violence is often another response in these very, very hard, hard conversations. Um, I don't, I, my sexual abuse actually happened when I was nine years old and, uh, it actually happened with, um, three girls who were my age Hmm. and, um, I, I had to work a very long time to not think that it was somehow my fault and that I did not procure it in some way. And the shame that I felt uh, affected my relationships with women. I trusted men far more than I ever trusted women. I did not have female doctors. I did not often work with women. I did work with women, but a lot of my practice was more male-oriented. That has changed as my growth and uh, my dissection of my own shame and my own um, care of my soul got unpacked and that I could then own my own goddess-ship and my own sexuality in such a way that it wasn't used as a power, powerful movement to overcome trauma. Well, we're definitely glad you did where you're telling me that I just see this little Edie and I just want to give her a hug and and just tell her, you know, because it's the thing I've had to do is write a letter to myself and say it wasn't your fault. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you. You know, if we we can't 
be, how do we ask others to be? True. Yep. True. Uh, well, Miss Edie, we like to wrap things up with some fun. We jump to uh, some uh, random questions. We have a good time with people. But uh, before we get to that, um, why don't you tell people how they can find you, a bit, bit more about um, um, your book and everything that you have going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the book is It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. And you can find it on Amazon and if anybody wants to get in touch with me, great place is my website, which is easy. It's ednathan.com. And uh, I always say it's Edie like the ice cream and Nathan like the hot dogs, but <laughs> some places don't have Edie's ice cream. So, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And for those listening, we'll have all the links uh, in the uh, podcast description so you can click right through to that. All right, and Mikey, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and one more thing: if yes. you if if they identify as having heard me on do this wonderful show, uh, I will send a free chapter of the book uh, oh, awesome. um, to them. Chapter, uh, I think it's chapter eight, and it goes through the eleven phases of grief. Okay. So I'm happy to forward that and send that, and uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, then, then I will be sitting, okay, what are those 11 phases of grief? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get on to uh, rapid questions here. Go ahead, Mikey. You're up first. This is my favorite one. If you could have dinner with anybody you wanted, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Um, because he was at the forefront of so many issues, and he was a conversation starter, and he got us thinking about things in such a different way. And I'd love to know how he had the wherewithal and the confidence to do that. Yeah. That was a good one. That was one of the first answers that didn't make me feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people, for example, I'll say like, oh, you know, Robert De Niro or like Al Pacino. I would love to have dinner with one of those guys. But some people, you know. We've gotten Jesus. Yeah. And we, it's we've like. Gotten, well, we've gotten my Nana that had passed And away. it's like, of course, I would love to see my grandma again or I would love to meet Jesus. You know what I mean? But like, so when they say that, it makes me feel bad for saying mine. It's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm glad it didn't make you feel oh, stupid. Abraham but... Lincoln. That was, yeah, that was uh, awesome. Um, so what is your uh, favorite hobby? What's something that, that uh, Edie does that might be surprising to the listeners? So I'm a ceramic artist. Really? And I, yeah, and I have um, two potter's wheels. I have a kiln. I make my own glazes. And I carve pieces w with... Uh, the nude body talking about um, the goddess and God stories and mythology. I'll be done. And they're all one of a kind. Oh, that is excellent. Nice. That's really cool. All right, Edie, what are your pet peeves, if you have <laughs> any? Because if you don't have any, I have a lot. You can have some. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, no, I've got plenty. Thank you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so uh, pet peeves there they're like I there's so many I, I one of my pet peeves is when someone says I don't know mm. why okay. is that and there's something about I don't know that stops the conversation yeah and there's nowhere to go and I always want to be able to have somewhere to go I want to know what their picture is, what their story is. And I don't know, feels like a shutdown. Mm. Shit, now I'm thinking back. Did I say I don't know during this? <laughs> I apologize if I, did. I don't think so. <laughs> well, you know, Missy, it's funny you mentioned that because it's kind of like the first rule of improv. It's always yes and. You yes know? and. Yes and. We yeah. just build off of this and keep rolling. So That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's funny. I've never thought of that because I tend to say, I don't know that right now, but I'll figure or I'll look into it and I'll get you an answer or let's look into it together. That's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. Isn't that great? That's a, that becomes a whole different conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've just, we just killed 10 hours building Legos. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to build that, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Love it. <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I would love 
to be able to shape shift. Ooh. Like to take on different forms depending on where I am so that I could maybe be a voyeur or maybe understand things that I don't understand. But mm. by shape-shifting, I could. That's interesting. I have never heard anyone say that. I love it. We'll get like flying or something. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, shape-shift. Like well, that. let's finish it off with this one, Mikey. I think that's a great way to wrap it up with Miss Edie. What do you think is your greatest achievement why do I find that so hard? Um, I could see it being daunting a little bit. So, um, thank you. Yeah, I um, choosing to be alive. Hmm. Choosing the hero's journey or the shero's journey. Yeah. And knowing that uh, there's always a, a repetition of that of that journey and that you start with an ordinary life and maybe that ordinary life feels like crap and you go deep into a cave and you reckon with the 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 the, the rhino rhinoceros or the animal and you come out and you're forever changed mm -hmm. um but you have uh, a new perspective yeah i love it i do too as one of our mottos uh, your greatest adversities can become your greatest advantages that's it you got it yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was, I had a blast. Yeah, we, awesome. Thank you. We, <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. coming on. This was a good time. You're such an awesome lady, uh, Edie, and it's it's so great to see that, uh, you know, again, and it's such encouragement, I know, just for me in a selfish way, and and I'm, you know, the listeners, and when we get feedback of, of being able to share your story as transparent you are and see that you have taken it and and done work and, and, and are really reaching out and helping so many people uh, that, that you're serving just such a purpose. That's It's awesome. I love it. Yeah, thank, thank you. Trauma is one part of you. It's not all of you. So uh, thank you for sharing your stories here. And I know that's what you do. And kudos to you. And this was an honor. Knocking doors down. Real people, real stories, real life. Real discussions of life struggles including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Miss Edie Nathan, what a great lady. You know, I actually did that when she said, when you're having a panic attack, hold your breath. Like when you feel yeah. like you can't breathe, hold your breath. And I did that. And it, I mean, I was still going through the attack, but it made me realize, okay, I can breathe because when I did hold my breath, that's when I actually stopped. So I was like, <laughs> I'll be damned. The Shit worked. <laughs> Brain works in weird ways. Again, for more on Edie, that's edynathan.com. Go check it out. Her book is really great. I mean, even Deepak Chopra had read her book. So, you know, there's some definitely some interesting individuals that uh, do a lot of great stuff in, in, in recovery and self-discovery and everything else. Again, her book, It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. Um, really insightful stuff. I'm about halfway through, I think, now, uh, and it's really good. So can't recommend it enough. Mikey, anything else uh, that you might like to add? That is it. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you next Thursday. Absolutely. Next week, we got Leah Messer. Leah Messer. From Teen Mom 2, so make sure that you are subscribing and spread the word on that episode. Again, we want to thank our sponsor, 5150LTM. You can find out more about the apparel at 5150LTM.com. If you follow us on social media, that's knocking doors down on either Instagram or Facebook. You'll see in a lot of the videos where you see Mikey's handsome mug and myself, we oh, are in our 5150 shucks. gear. So make sure to check it out. That's 5150LTM.com. Get the gear that we wear. And uh, on that note, keep knocking doors down. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. 
All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments suggestions or correction of errors privacy is of the utmost importance to us for those wishing anonymity people places and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests this website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony no guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content, establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.